You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Last night, my, my wife mentioned to me, now, are you going to say anything about what happened this week? And I literally said, heck no. I don't know about you, I am so tired of politics. I can't thank you, my friend. I can't spell, I don't even want to spell the word. I think it's a, politics is now a four-letter word to me. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's just, I mean, I, I'm literally so tired. All, I mean, I'm so glad we had football this fall. But yeah, I, I, literally, you watch a football game, and, and then you have commercials. Literally, that trashes one senatorial candidate, and the next one trashes them back. And you just, like, we literally have had to watch this. $480 million were spent in the last month to persuade us how bad the people that were running for Senate were. And um, it's just been a, a, a terrible thing. Um, and then, of course, the events this week were... Um, you know, we're just, we're just awful, and there's no other way to say it. Um, they were awful. Uh, they, uh, I remember after the election preaching a sermon here uh, from Timothy, and I was very concerned with these ideas, these allegations of voter fraud and how, and I get particularly concerned. I don't really care what politicians do because I think they're just full of it. I get really concerned when I see church people affected by it. I see how the church is, and I see Christians kind of holding on to their hopes that, they're, that this is going to get reversed. I remember talking to a really good friend of mine, Pippa and I respect, who was telling me last week, we're holding out till January. The Lord told me to hold out till January 18th, that this will get, and I said, hell, he did, huh? The Lord did. That's really wonderful. It's not you just made it up. It's not just what you want. The Lord told you, huh? It's really great. And... Um, we, we live in a, this is a very bad time, and it's been a very bad time for our country for quite a while. I have a good friend named Bob who uh, lives in Atlanta, and we met him when we lived there. My, his family and our family were very close. Uh, his wife and Lisa were very good friends. Uh, they had two kids, went to the same school. Ours went to, they're both the same age. They had two girls, uh, the same age as my two boys. Um, we went to church together. Uh, real strong believer, great guy. He uh, was a graduate of Ole Miss, got a degree in accounting, and was practicing accounting with a big one of the big firms, did really well. Uh, went to Harvard and got an MBA. And in his late 20s, he teamed up with four other men strong Christian men, and they started a high-tech company that grew and grew and grew. Uh, when I was in Atlanta, they had over 5,500 employees. He was, at the time, getting there, doing all the groundwork and paperwork for them to take the company public. They did that successfully. Uh, a few years later, they sold the company. Uh, he did real well. Didn't work for a year. Probably never needs to work again, but he just didn't work for a year. And we would, every holiday I would go and eat lunch with him and have 
visit with him. He's uh, helped support our church, and he's a dear, dear friend. And um, a few years ago, when that was over, he got his, sec- his next job, and I went and visited him at this place, and went to this kind of large office park, very ar- large, large office. And there were maybe three employees in the whole thing. It's just kind of odd. And uh, he was in this back, this big office. He, he was a CFO, and what he would, had begun doing is there was a company, if I told you the name of the company, most of you would remember it, would know what it was, a company that did really well. And he was overseeing their trust and their finances and their estates and their foundations and all their financial holdings. He was a CFO over this large uh, company's total assets that had been liquidated as their, as, after they sold their company, this family. The, the original company was founded by a, a guy who literally grew up without running water. American dream. Worked hard, a decent man, married one woman, stayed with her, very, didn't have much in his 40s. He started a business. It did well. He expanded that business. Those expansions did well. He expanded it more. He expanded it more. He saw a, a niche way to, to, to expand his business that really worked in the market. He worked till deep into his 80s. Hard-working guy, probably 12, 15-hour days, honest, noble, loved his family, raised his kids right, turned his business over to his kids, and they followed the example of their dad and continued to expand the company and did really, really well. And then they turned it over to their kids, and there were a few cracks in the ground. But by the time it got to his great-great-grandkids, this is where my friend Bob was at this time when he took over the company. Many of the great-great-grandkids had been in and out of rehabs. They were fighting, infighting, and this, this family, this man had left this huge estate worth billions of dollars, billions. And he wanted to go to educate his ancestors. He wanted it to go to, you know, help them get started, help them in life. He wanted to go to all kind of charities and do all kind of good with it. And literally, the money he had set aside to funding their education was funding their drug rehabs over and over and over again. And the ancestors were so mad at one another and got along so poorly and were so divided, they literally could never decide who and where to give any money to or how to use it. And so he literally said, this is so crazy. He would do annual reports, and he was sitting on a a state of billions of dollars that was going nowhere. It was doing nothing. It was affecting none of this founders who worked so hard as ancestors. It was affecting no causes, no charities. It was utterly futile, the dysfunctionality. And this is American politics right now. We are privileged. We are living in a country that is the wealthiest country in the history of the world. There's never been anything like it. We have never had a period of wealth and opulence like we've had the last few years. Our stock market's at an absolute record level, and I assure you next year it's probably going to continue to soar and accelerate. 
I was with Gator yesterday, and we were talking about what it would be like 10, 15 years ago to live like we live now. You realize how rich you would have to be to have a phone in your car that you could call somebody? Poor men are given those by our government. You realize what it would be like to have a big TV with a perfect thing? Everybody in our country has those. Think of the things we have. Think of the opulence. When we go to Liberia years ago, we've been there and we, we sit there and talk to their students and they can't believe what we have in classrooms, what our government gives people in the, in the ways of education. It's absolutely incredible. Yet we are, with all this wealth and all this power and all this going for us, we are absolutely, pathetically dysfunctional. We can't go anywhere. And it's just tragic. And I think for a lot of us as Christians, we're confused. What do you do in a situation like this? What do you do when every day, every commercial, every moment, you are tweeted, you are Facebooked, you are whatever, some sort of something that tells you, I want you to go to this direction, or I want you to think in this direction. Constantly, you're confronted with it. You're confronted with this political battle and this whole, uh, the whole animosity of it over and over and over again. In the book of Isaiah in chapter 9, if you read the book of Isaiah, it's a powerful book. It's a, like a pivotal book in understanding who Jesus is. It was written 900 years before Christ came. And it was during the, the time of Isaiah, at least the early part of Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet ministering when there was a king in power named Ahaz. And Ahaz was presiding over uh, Judah in a very, very, very turbulent time. What was happening is there was a massive uh, ancient Near Eastern power the Assyrian army, led by a man named Sarat Sennacherib, who was systematically conquering the whole ancient Near East. And he would, when he would conquer, he would conquer viciously. He would come in, he would conquer, he would impale uh, kings, he would blind them and then impale them. And he was, to be a king and being confronted and attacked by this guy was a terrifying thing. And in Judah, there was a, the northern kingdom of Israel that was kind of backslidden. And there was a, a, they had aligned themselves, and it was a, a guy named, um, let me see if I remember it, uh, Pella, and a guy named Rezim who had aligned together, and they'd formed something called the Syro-Ephium Coalition. It was these countries had gathered together and said, we're going to bond together to fight Assyria. And they came to Judah, and they came to King Ahaz, and they said, will you align with us and fight with us against Assyria. And they said to him, if you don't, we're going to invade you and we're going to destroy you. So that's what he's being asked. Hey, will you align with us to fight this power? But if you don't do it, you're going to get invaded. You're going to get killed. You're going to get destroyed. You're going to get run over. The other option he's thinking about is to align himself with Egypt. Now, 
these guys at least had some of it. They had a commonality in their religion and things. Egypt was pagan. Egypt had a, they had a bad history with Egypt. But Egypt was led by a leader, a pharaoh named Necho, who, had, who was very powerful and very formidable. And what Necho said is that, hey, I will, you can align with me, and I'll protect you from these Assyrians, but you've got to become what he called our vassals. That means you will be sort of under us. And I wouldn't call them necessarily slaves, but they would be the subjects of Egypt. Again, a nation whose history was they were freed from slavery of Egypt, now because of political expediency was going to have to subject themselves to the Egyptians. So here's the, here's the conflict in Isaiah's day. Does he go side with these guys, align with them, and not face ruin and invasion, or does he align with these guys and become subjects and enslave and become underneath their power and their authority and their wishes and their whims? And he's really in a pretty heavy conflict. And he feels like he doesn't have the power to stand alone. This is where he's at. And Isaiah the prophet comes to him. And he says something to him. It's a very famous passage because we put it on Christmas cards. But he comes to him and he tells him, Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And he goes on to say, government, the government will rest on his shoulders and there will be no end to the increase or the greatness of his government. And he ends that passage by saying the zeal, the emotion, the passion of God Almighty will bring this about. And here's what he's telling the king, as he's looking to this guy, or he's looking to this guy, and these two bad political options, he's saying, King, wake up! Do you know who we are? Do you know? Because unto us, we are the people of God. Jerusalem is our capital. God made a covenant with David that the prophecy he made at the fall of man in Genesis 3 that a Savior would be born who would crush evil and would bring about God's kingdom and God's dominion. That promise is ours. It is unto us. A son is given. child to be born. He is a wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. He is the prince of peace and he will build a government. He will build a kingdom. He will begin a reign that will have no limits. It will have no end. It will be unparalleled and unmatched in all of human history. He told them that 900 years 
before Jesus came. And so in the midst of this dilemma, he said, believe in what is to come. Know who you are. Know who we are as the people of God and begin to act like it. And begin to lead these people like they need to be led. 900 years before Christ. Here we live 2,000 years after he came. And what do we see? Well, that prophecy came about, didn't it? That thing came true. We got reading a book by a secular historian, actually a, an atheist, who's writing a book about the first few hundred years of Christianity. And he called it, titled the book, The Triumph of Christianity. And he subtitled it, How a Forbidden Religion took over the world. In his introduction, he talks about the miracle and the wonder that 11 beleaguered men whose 30-year-old rabbi had been crucified publicly and hopefully and shamefully on a cross. Somehow, a movement begun by these people, somehow, in less than 300 years, had converted over 30 million people in the Roman Empire despite opposition and bloodshed that you and I could not imagine. How did that happen? That's over a third of the Roman Empire. How did it happen? That's before Constantine. How did it happen? You know why it happened? Because he's spectacular and he's marvelous and he's incredible. And what Isaiah was telling Ahaz the king, he says, look, believe in the one who is coming, who's, going to be, who's given to us. Because he's a wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. The everlasting father, the prince of peace. There'll be no end. No end. No end. It's his government over his peace. There'll be no one like him. Nothing like him in all of history. You know, I remember when I was a young dad back in Atlanta, my uh, two boys loved the Lord of the Rings trilogies. Any, anybody read the Lord of the, any Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, people here, several of you, I can, I can see it in your eyes. You just glisten and glow when I just say the Lord, the, just say the book and just, ah, uh, you can see the glow, see the light come on, that's great. Um, and both my boys are avid readers. They had read those books when they were very young, all the way through, several times. And when the movie came out, we couldn't wait to go. And we went, like, first night to go see the movie. And I was like, oh, you know, I'd heard of The Lord of the Rings. I'd heard of Tolkien. I don't read fiction. I read, I read too much nonfiction every week to read a fiction book. It just doesn't appeal to me at all. No offense to you that, that do. I'm just not a, I'm just, I have no d desire to to read a novel, something that didn't happen. It just doesn't appeal to me, uh, you know, for good or bad. It's just not my thing. Anyways, but, but we went, and I remember going to the first movie. It was three and a half hours long. Yeah. And, um, and I, I just kept thinking, this is just a, one monster after another. 
There's a guy that's like the fire monster, and then there's the, you know, the lizard, whatever, snake out of the, you know. I I just thought, you know, I'm just like, this is just one monster after another. And I fell asleep during it. And, you know, and then, you know, and I was, yeah, I was like, okay, Lord of the Rings. And then the second one I remember we went to, and it didn't, you know, it it was, again, a matinee. Friday afternoon, it just came out. I took both boys like a good dad, and we sat there. And I remember, I, the only thing I remember is the trees. Remember the trees that came to life and just started fighting? I never thought that went up before. I thought that's, that for special effect, that's a pretty solid special effect. I, I didn't get where it was going. I didn't get the story. I didn't understand what they were talking about. And then the third one came out, and I remember it. And there was a scene where... I got something. And, and what happened is, you remember Frodo was entrusted with the ring. Remember that? He had the ring. He was carrying around the ring. And it was, it was trying to destroy the ring because if you put the ring on, it would corrupt you. Remember that? It would make you a bad person. Golem was a, had the ring for 200 years, and it turned him into a monster. And you, we, we, you wanted to get, you, you, and Frodo was trying to just destroy the ring forever. But Frodo did something in the third one. What did he do? He put the ring on, and what did the ring do? The ring turned him into a monster. And there's a ring that exists among humanity, and it's called power. Human beings are broken animals. And power means this. When you vote in an election, you know what you do? You vote for somebody who will coercively control what happens to people that coercively control what happens. It's about coercive control. Who is going to have coercive control? My side or their side? And we're scared their side's going to have coercive control. And we dream of what would happen if we had coercive control. Oh, all the problems that would be solved if we had coercive control. And we talk about it and we read about it online and and this is what it's all about. Coercive control. Political power. You put it on your finger and it makes you a monster because you're a human being and that's all it can turn you into. A monster. Political power does that. Spiritual power is not about power, it's about weakness. Spiritual power is revealed in weakness. Look at how, how God revealed spiritual power. How did he come into this world as a baby, born in a manger, simple, humanity, born into poverty, preached in small country towns, no pomp, no, no, no power in in any uh, prop he had in his life. How, is, how does he bring about the powerful salvation that's changed the world? By being crucified, by laying down his life. What does he say to you and I about being powerful? We serve, we give, we love. Spiritual power is about going low. It's not about coerciveness. And what we do in the church... When we invest ourselves in political power and not spiritual power, 
is we compromise the gospel. Whether it's to the right or to the left, it's a compromise. Either way. And we can sit there and think, it's real easy for our... I remember being in college in 1980. And our country was going through a bad time. And up arose a moment of movement called the Moral Majority. Some of you will remember it. A pastor named Jerry Falwell couldn't have been more stereotypical of a, of a fundamentalist pastor if he had to be. He rose up, led this huge movement, and it just galvanized Christianity around a party. And it made it very patriotic. And it was just, you know, we were, it was just a just huge movement in Christianity, in the church, to be patriotic and to vote a certain way and embrace certain political ideas. I mean, just hook, line, and sinker and be behind certain candidates. And it was very, very powerful. And you never heard, a, I never heard a preacher even question it. It just went on and on and on. And then you had some things go wrong and then you'd kind of see a group of Christians that became the religious left. That was called the religious right. You see the religious left in evangelicals. And they're really too smart to be with the religious right. Oh, the religious right is just so embarrassing. They're just a bunch of hayseeds. We are the smart ones. And we believe this. And we're just so proud of ourselves. And the religious right looks really bad right now because they embraced a, a, a narcissist who did something incredibly stupid after a series of incredible years of, of folly. It's really easy for the religious left to go, oh yeah, we're the party, of, we're, the, we're at the side of truth and love. Truth and love. Really. Truth and love. You remember the Kavanaugh hearing? Remember what happened to Judge Kavanaugh? Pro-life judge? Probably a Christian? pro-life, great record, great credentials. What happened to him? Love, truth, compassion, party of love. You to the left, you're sure confident in your team. What happened when uh, Me Too generation came out and it was your candidate did you get all righteous and holy and you're the party of truth you're the party of compassion party of hold the power accountable is that what you were don't be stupid don't be stupid either way I think we need to follow the advice that Isaiah gave Ahaz. Don't side with either one of these fools. Don't side with the right. This allegiance with the right, that's a lot, it just has not worked. It's been a complete mess. But don't side with the left. Because it, be, it will be utterly messy. We need to side with Christ. What Isaiah said, unto us. Do you hear that? Unto us the Savior is born. Unto us. Salvation does not come through a candidate. 
It doesn't come through a philosophy. It came 2,000 years ago in the weakness and the humanity of Jesus of Nazareth. And it has expanded and it has grown powerfully and dynamically. We don't need the we don't need the country to heal of its political divide. We need the church to heal of its delusion that if we just back a candidate, things will be better. It just isn't going to happen, guys. It isn't going to happen. We need to get behind Christ as never before. We need to embrace the Savior. We need to stop spending hours watching political news shows. We need to stop investing thousands in candidates. We need to stop reinforcing our own biases and conversations. We need to stop dreaming of how ideal the world would be if everybody would just embrace what we think. And we need to start following him. Today, in, 19, in 1884, South Korea had no Christian presence at all. None. The first Protestant missionary in decades and centuries went there in 1884. Within a hundred years, the ten largest churches in the world developed in South Korea. Today, there's a church in South Korea with over a million people in it. In 1949, when the Boxer Rebellion happened and, and Mao Zedong came into power and China was overthrown by communism, there was four million Christians in all of China. And the four million were persecuted viciously. Many were kicked out of the country if they weren't executed and killed. Today in China, there are over 80 million born-again Christians. You know where Christianity is growing the fastest today in this world? What nation? It's in Iran. In Iran. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, Lisa and I were in, a, uh, in the Bahamas, at a, and it wasn't like the Bahamas like you think. It was on an old beat-up ship doing this evangelism work with 25, 30 young people, but anyways, but we were, it was the Bahamas, but we were uh, there, we met um, two couples, four people that were from Iran, young people, one of them was a uh, national athlete who had become a Christian and fled the country, and he told me, in our country, young people are coming to Christ, the young people are, are becoming Christians in mass, they believe that every year in Iran, one and a half percent of the population is converting to Christianity, Every year in Iran, one and a half percent, one and a half percent every year are converting to Christianity. Undo us. A child is born. Unto us. A son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. The Bible says the zeal, the passion, the intensity of Almighty God will accomplish this. Look, it's, it's what are you going to do in this time? What are you going to do? Are you going to continue to waste your life picking sides and justifying the side you pick on? Is that what you're going to do? We need to pick him. We need to choose him. 
We need to pick him with all the gusto we can. We need to honor the greatness of Jesus Christ. Pick him. Choose him. And this is what Isaiah is saying to Ahaz. He's going, God, this is who we are. Do you know who we are? Salvation is coming through us. Act like it. Live like it. Stand like it. And I believe that's God's word for us today. It's coming through us. It's come through the church. We need to believe in its power and in the power of nothing else to bring about salvation and change to our country. We don't need to pray for our country. We need to pray for the church to do nothing but awaken to the greatness and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to bring salvation. There's nothing like him. And that's my prayer. And that's where I think we need to be. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for, for Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you that in him, through weakness, you released a power that has transformed our world. Lord, help us to not align ourselves with coercive power. Help us not to align ourselves with solutions that are political, where we're making people do things they really won't, don't want to do to create a structure that improves things. Help us to align ourselves with the power of the gospel that transforms people from the inside out. The power you unleashed on this world, the power that brought the Roman Empire to its knees, the power that is transforming Korea and China and Iran, the power that would touch America and change it in a powerful way, would change our city in a powerful way. Help us to align with it. I just wonder if we can just take a minute and just be silent and just think, contemplate. Well, if you've been here and you have just, to the right or the left, conservative or progressive, if you have made that and believed that ideology or the people involved are going to do something and be something they really can't be, can't be other than a man that turns into a monster once the ring's on their hand. If you believe, if you've not been honest about that, you need to get that right. If you're like Ahaz and you're fearful about which side to go to and you're worried about one side ruining you and one side enslaving you, and you're forgetting that unto a child is born, government rests on his shoulders you're forgetting that he is a wonderful counselor a mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace you're forgetting there's no end to the increase of his government or of his peace if you're forgetting that the zeal of God the passion the emotions of God are fervently backing this I just want you to repent and kind of realign yourself with that truth
Father, I just thank you that as we are going into 2021 into a new year, that the, I pray the disease of, I thank you the disease of 2020 is waning. We have a vaccine, there's a cure, and, and I just thank you that, that it will be put behind us physical, medical disease that has plagued us. Father, I pray that the spiritual disease that has plagued us will get behind us as well, at least in your church. If our country's going to continue to be crazy and mad and polemical, let it be. But Father, I pray we'd be a light on a hill. I pray we'd be the salt of the earth. I pray we'd be a people you'd really be proud of that's not angry, it's not vile, it's not retaliatory going back and forth, that can see their opponent's sin but is completely oblivious to their own. God help us to not be in that state. Father, I pray that you just unite our hearts to love you connect with you, to just want to be with you, to find you more interesting, to find your word more interesting than political blogs or opinions that affirm what we want to be true. Just be free us from all that, Lord. Help your church to be functional and clean. Help us to really honor you and live for you in a way that really is a, is a light to our, to our country. And heal it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.